Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brennan shares a message entitled, An Option for Wisdom. Without fail, throughout our lives, we make some bad decisions. In order to make decisions with wisdom, however, we need to stop asking if it is right or wrong, but rather, if it is the wise thing to do. I want to talk to you today about something that, that, that's pretty interesting to me. I want to talk to you about uh, wisdom. And how many of you could use a little wisdom? little direction in your life. Yeah, everybody. Everybody could use a little more wisdom. Uh, so I want to talk to you about that. First, I want to read to you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and then we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 9. Got a few scriptures we're going to read, and then we're going to jump in here. Ephesians five fifteen. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And then over in Proverbs chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 10. Proverbs 9 verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there. That, their guests, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for um, giving it to us as, a, as direction, as, as, as the wisdom, God, that you would have for us. And I pray today, Father, that, that you would use, use these words that you've given me somehow to spur us to seek godly wisdom, to spur us to grow as wise people in the Lord. And what an awesome task of trying to communicate you. So, Father, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak on our behalf today, speak directly to our hearts. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give you praise in, in the mighty God, in, in the, the, the name of grace, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you about the wisdom of God. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I think we see very clearly in Ephesians 5.15, God desires for us to be wise, right? He doesn't want us walking around like a bunch of dummies. He doesn't want us walking around foolish. He wants us to be wise. And Paul tells us that we need to be wise because the days in which we live are evil. He wants us to be careful. He wants us to live in wisdom. And so this is something that God would desire for us. But how many of you would say you have ever made unwise choices? Yes, If you didn't raise your hand, we know that inside you're raising your hand because we've all made unwise choices. We've all done things that just were not very smart. They weren't very wise. They certainly did not come through the wisdom of God. I did something like this this very week. I had gone and I had run, and for me, it was way too far to run, but from basically the couch to the refrigerator, it's too far for me to run, but I had gone jogging. And I get uh, to the grocery store. Susan had asked me to go to the grocery store. And so I didn't want to go in with my, like, just, I'm talking about staunch 
white legs show. I mean, it was just not a pretty sight. So I was going to put my jeans over uh, my shorts. And so I go and, and I reach across uh, the seat to get my jeans. And I was just going to slip them on over my shorts. And I had this in my pocket, this little coin. And it was given to me by a friend. I keep it in my pocket. It says, you held out your hand and changed my life. Everybody says, oh, that's sweet. But, but it was given to me by a friend. And, and, and I keep it in my pocket because, you know, you have those days when you're like, is, is God really doing anything? And I pull this out and I look at it and I say, you know, one person, at least one person has been changed. So let's, let's keep pressing forward. You know what I mean? And so I'm there and I pick up my jeans and this little thing falls out of my jeans and goes down under the seat. And I was like, oh, I got to get it, which was a wise choice because I like this and I want to keep it with me. So the, the choice was wise that I should lean over under the seat and reach my hand under and find this little coin. What was unwise was that you should put your truck in park before you lean over and reach under the seat and, and try to find the coin. And I failed to do that. I didn't put my truck in park. And I'm sitting there and, and you know, and I have no clue that the truck's moving. And luckily it only moved a few feet, but it, and luckily I was parked in front of a pole, but I smacked into this pole and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I sit up and I had no clue what I hit. I had no clue what was going on. And I I look up and the funniest thing about the whole story was there was two old ladies who were standing by their cars right on the other side of the pole and I mean the looks on their faces and they kind of started running the best they could to get out of there and I mean and they looked at me and if looks could kill man I would have been dead and I'm like I'm sorry you know and and so idiot was just like right across my forehead but I, I just smacked the pole you know, and, and so we do stupid things, and I was like, oh, I was embarrassed to get out, and I, I didn't even worry about it. I was like, if it's dented, it's dented. I'm just going to try to get out of here. And so I go, and, and, you know, it didn't really mess up my truck too bad, but it was just embarrassing. You know, it was just a stupid thing to do. You know, you, everybody knows to put your truck in park, but I swear it was because I was so lightheaded from that, that run I had just been on. I, I make excuses for it. But... but anyway, but we do stupid things. I mean, how many of you have ever texted while you're driving? Like, everybody should be at the altar right now, right? Because we've all done that. You know, we're all riding and texting at the same time. And so we do things that aren't wise. And then our parents send us these emails with like pictures of people who had wrecks while they were texting to try to keep us from texting. Because it's just not a wise thing to do. You just don't want to, to be texting and looking at your phone while you're riding. But we all do these stupid things. And then, you know, and then there's just different levels of, of unwise choices that we make. I mean, we make choices to do things that, that we know good and well cannot benefit us in our lives. And so I want to look at that today a little bit. Why is it that we make these choices? Paul said this, he said, make, he said in Ephesians 5, 15, he said, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. He says this to us. He says, listen, and when he's saying careful, the word there denotes, it, it, it gives the imagery in, in the Greek of walking through thorns. Have you ever been in the woods and got pricked by a thorn? Man, a briar, just good old South Georgia briars are like this long, it feels like when they go in your leg or something, they hurt. And, and, and what Paul's saying is, listen, when you're going through life, you've got to be careful. You can't just live a dumb life. You can't just do whatever you want to do. You need to treat life as though you're walking through this batch, this patch of thorns. And you're trying to avoid the, the, the snares, the, 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 the sticking of those thorns. He's saying, be very careful and don't live your lives as unwise, but live them as wise. I want to tell you what I believe the definition of wisdom uh, for me is with God. 
It is understanding God's will and God's ways, and it's living that way. See, a lot of times we can have wisdom, but if we, if we can understand God's will, we can understand God's ways, but if we don't live it, what good is it? We can, have, we can have a lot of information, but if there's no transformation, what's the point, right? True? I mean, we can know all about it. We can understand it. We can, we can read the Bible and know it backwards and forwards. But James tells us very clearly in the book of James, he says, listen, if you just read it and you know it and you don't do it, what good's it going to be? It's not, he says, you'll be blessed if you do the word of God. But so many times we'll, we'll try to get knowledge. We'll try to get information, but we never apply it to our lives. We need to understand the will of God. We need to understand God's direction for our life. Listen, there is some direction that is for you individually. God's going to direct your life in different ways, but there's a lot of wisdom and direction in this book that, that is universal. It applies to every one of us. And the wise thing to do would be to get into this word and begin to figure out what God's will for your life really is what God's calling you to be. It would be good to get into the word of God and begin to pray and ask God, God, teach me about your ways. What are your ways for me, God? What type of life? What's the quality of life you're calling me to live? Because it's easy for us to wear the badge of Christ and never really make any kind of change. We become just stagnant. We just don't really do anything to to make a difference in our own life. We've got all the wisdom of God right here, and we live as unwise. We just live a life that that just does not reflect the wisdom of God. Many of us have done things that that go against not only just a moral compass, but just common sense, right? I mean, we just just do stupid stuff. Like the other day, I'm in, in my driveway... Susan was, was not there, and our oldest son was not there, but my son's ripstick was there. How many of you know what a ripstick is? It's, it's like a skateboard from hell because it's only got two wheels underneath it instead of four. I can do the four thing, okay, but this, this new thing they've got out is swivels. And if you can swivel it right, it's on two wheels, it'll just move itself. And I'm sure many of you have seen those, but I, I just I decided I could ride that. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, Susan's not there, our oldest son's not there, but me and Jackson, our three-year-old, are there. And Jackson's kind of just sitting back. He's going, you can tell by the look on his face, this is not a good idea, Dad. And but, uh, for me, for some reason, I thought, yeah, this will work. I can do this. I can get on this thing and ride it. And so I got one foot on it, and it's swiveling underneath me, and I start trying to scoot myself. I put my other foot up on it, and from there, it's a blur. I, I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I know that I ended up falling, and and and. I ended up kind of on my shoulder like this and the water bottle I had in my hand was halfway across the yard and and luckily at least I don't think any of the neighbors saw but they could have if they did I know they thought it was hilarious but we just go against common sense sometimes there was nothing that made sense for me to think that I could actually ride that thing especially without some adult supervision you know (laughs) And so I just decided I'm going to jump on it and ride it. It didn't make sense. was not very smart, but I decided to do it anyway. And so we begin to do those kinds of things, and, and we begin to just make decisions that aren't very smart. There was a man in the Bible um, that the Bible tells you about and tells us about his life. His name is Hosea, and, and he lived at an interesting time. When you study the book of Hosea, he's speaking to people who are very similar to you and I. It was people who were making a lot of unwise choices. There was a lot of corruption in the leadership. Does that sound familiar to 
our government right now. There was a lot of uh, corruption in people's lives. They just weren't living pure lives before God. There was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of class hate. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I think this is a pretty good description of where our, uh, our country is today. And Hosea was writing to these people who were making these horrible, horrible choices. And I want to read to you real quick. It's Hosea 4, 1 and 2. And I want to read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what he says. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. He says, listen, they don't acknowledge God. This is what God is speaking through Hosea. They're not acknowledging you. He says there's no boundaries because you don't even acknowledge that God is God. They begin to worship these pagan gods. They begin to go after their own way. They were making an unwise choice of putting God on the back burner and just taking it their own way. Coming to God how they wanted, when they wanted, and on their own terms. And there were no boundaries. And, and today I would say that we, as much as any people in any history, have, don't want boundaries in our life, do we? We don't want them. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do or when to do it or how to do it. And we come to God that way and, and we tell him, don't tell me how to do it. We'll come to God the way we want to. And whether it's subconscious or whatever, we have brought God down on our level in many, many cases. And, and Hosea is saying, listen, you don't acknowledge God. There's no bounds. And he, God was warning them of destruction. So here's the thing that I believe. I believe this with all my heart. God does not have to destroy your life to get your attention. If you're apart from God, you'll destroy it yourself. If you're apart from God, you'll destroy your own life because you will make so many stupid decisions that it will ultimately lead to destruction. I have a good friend of mine who runs a business and, and, and there's somebody in his life that just constantly aggravates the stew out of him about his business, constantly. But I looked at him one day I said, you know, I said, why are you worried about this? Because look at the history of this man. He's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. Give him a couple of months and he will destroy his own life. Because when we are apart from God, ultimately we will do that. And Hosea was warning these people, you need to acknowledge God. And I want to tell you today that the first thing we've got to do, if we want to have the wisdom of God, is we've got to begin to acknowledge God as God. Jesus said this, he, he told this parable, he said, listen, don't throw your pearls to swine. Talking to, talking to his followers, don't throw your pearls to swine. He said, because if you do, they'll trample them and then they might even come and get you. Why would God throw his pearls of wisdom to somebody who's going to trample them in the dirt? He's not. He's calling us to put him on the throne of our life. He's not calling us to, to just do life any way we want to do it. He's calling us to put him on the throne of our life. I want to read to you again in Proverbs 9. Just one verse real quick. It's, it's verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now I want you to hear this and hear this clearly. Christianity is not a, a fear-based religion. It's not. It's a faith-based religion. You and I have the ability to be Christians because of the grace of God, because of the love of Jesus Christ that he's poured out upon us. We have the ability to be saved simply because of love. 
But I want to tell you this. There's an aspect of God that I believe is missing from the church. If you're not, if you've never been in church much, then pick it. It'd be like eating a watermelon, you know, swallow what you can, spit out the seeds. But, but those of you who've been in church, I want you to hear this today. Because there needs to be a wake up in the church. There needs to be a wake up to the reverence and awe of God. This, this verse says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to give you my definition of what the fear of the Lord means. It is a recognition and an acknowledgement that God is the creator and sustainer of all things and the giver of wisdom. I would repeat that, but I don't know if I can. It is the recognition and the acknowledgement that God Almighty, I'll throw that in there this time, is the creator and sustainer of all things and the giver of wisdom. It is being so in awe of God that, that you can't help but put him on the throne. I was thinking about my kids this week. You know, Susan and I on Saturday morning, we're like just in bed. Like 7.15, they come piling in the bed, you know. And we're like, man, we, we can sleep like two more hours, you know. But our kids are going nuts. They, they cannot wait to start the day. They are jacked up, man, and ready to go. And I was thinking about that this week. And, you know, I believe it's because the, the day holds so much possibility for them. The day holds so much potential, man. There are things to be done. There are things to, to aggravate daddy about. There's things to, to go and play. There's things to go and do. There's ripsticks to rise and balls to throw and birds to shoot at. And, you know, this is, this is my life. But, but there's things to do. And then I think we come to life with this boring attitude. We come to life with this attitude like, oh. Kind of like Frankenstein, just walking through life. And I think it's because we don't know how big God is. Because I believe when we realize how big he is, how awesome he is, then we wake up every morning with this thing of what is he going to do today? What is God going to do in my life today? What does he have for me today to do for him? But see, we have this wrong perception about who God is and especially about Jesus. And forgive me, if you have one of these shirts, I'm sorry. But, but, and I'll get... Just stay with me. When the church went through a period of time where God became very impersonal. And then we have this reformation period where we get uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, all these people are coming and they're, they're bringing these, this new way to God, this personal relationship. But I want to tell you, you can watch this throughout your life and look back on your life and see this happen. Typically when the church corrects itself, it doesn't just come back to the correct position. It typically slingshots way beyond where it was supposed to be in the first place. And I believe that happened with God and this personal relationship that he calls us to. I think we went from this impersonal God, this impersonal God, to this God that we couldn't talk to, we didn't know, that didn't even want to know us. And we slingshotted way past it over here to where Jesus went from being King of kings and Lord of lords to being our homeboy. Right? Is that not true? I mean, we, if you got one, of the, I'm not like slamming the shirt. I understand the shirt, okay? But, but we see the shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. It's like you hear people pray, and when they pray, they call him dude. Dude, like, love you, dude. I'm like, he's not dude, he's king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We have lost our reverence for Christ. You wouldn't walk up to Barack Obama and be like, what's up, dude? But we'll do that to Jesus. 
We've lost our fear. We've lost the, the, the acknowledgement of his position in our life. Have we not? Listen to me. He wants to be your friend. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ wants to be your friend. He does. But he's also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's also holy and perfect. He did descend and come here and walk among us and become one of us. But he also ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. And right now he makes intercession for you. And we need to get back to acknowledging him as our Savior and our Lord. And we don't need to just sit there and, and think that we can just treat him like I treat one of my buddies. There's a place in life where God has to be exalted to his proper position. If you want wisdom, then get God in the proper place in your life. Get God in the proper place in your life. For many of us, the problem is this. The problem is this. God has just become another, um, another option. I was talking to somebody yesterday, as a matter of fact, and they told me, they said, you know, I wake up every weekday and my alarm goes off at 5.15. He said, I am programmed 5.15 during the week. I'm up every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. I'm up and I'm ready to go. He said, in fact, most mornings I wake up and I'm looking at the clock at 5.10 waiting on the alarm to go off because I'm just, I'm ready to get out. I got to get going. I'm ready to go. He said, but for some reason on Sunday morning, he's like, man, it's so hard for me to get up. He's like, I can't get up at 7.15, much less 5.15. I can't, and it's because we're programmed. See, God has become another option for us. He's not the, he's not the holy God of the universe. He's, he's just, eh, eh, if I have time, if I have time. I want to show you this. It's almost like this, and, and, and I went and got these this morning, and I hope I don't, don't you know, screw this up, but I went and got these playing cards. Because I was thinking about this, you know, it's almost like, you know, there's 52 cards in the deck and it's almost like with God that he's one of these cards, right? And so we take the cards and we just kind of shuffle them up and we kind of, you know, we mix them up a little bit and, and we play with them and then maybe, oh gosh, you know, so-and-so's not doing good. Let me, ah, yeah, there's that God card. Okay. Let me put that on top right now. Okay. Things are good. Things are rocking along. Let me mix them back up. Okay. Yeah. God's in there somewhere, but I really don't know exactly where he is. And God becomes another card in the deck. He becomes another card in the deck. And maybe he comes up, but, oh, wow, that's not a real good time, God, um, for that. So let me stick it back under there, and, and, and I'll get back to you in just a minute. Because that's the way we live. God's just another option. He's another card in the deck. And when our lives start falling apart, we wonder, where is God? I mean, it's almost as if you took these cards and you just started shooting them out, and you just, my life's in shambles. It's falling apart. Where's God? Let me dig through here somewhere and try to find him. Let me dig through here somewhere and try to put God, if I can find him now, let me tell you this, there should be one card in our life that trumps every other card. And that's the God. That's God. That is, he should win in everything and everything that we do. But we just try to stick him in there, just wherever he'll fit, wherever's convenient for us. And that's not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to put him on the top, to live for him. That he guides everything in our life. And I believe that if we'll begin to do that, we'll begin to see the wisdom of God. But we've got to have that position correct. We've got to get it right. We've got to come to God the way he wants us to come to. I want to show you something out of the Bible that I read this week that has to do with this. It's 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, I want to read this to you real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. 
In verse 1, it says, David again, and, and, and David's just beat up the Philistines. He just annihilated them. And they've captured the Ark of the Covenant, which was uh, where the, the presence of God was. And they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. So there's a celebration. It says, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up uh, from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the Ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah, the, and oh, these are fun names, aren't they? Uzzah, who was evidently from Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And the Ohioan was walking in in front of it. It says, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because he, of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord and, and that day and said, How can the ark of God, or, or the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened and a fattened calf. Now listen to this. This is a pretty wild story. All right, they go and they get the ark of the covenant. They take it and they're bringing it back up to Jerusalem. And they, they put it on this cart and they're dragging it along and they're pulling it. And Uzzah's leading the way. And so the ark of the covenant starts to move. It starts to shake. I guess it hit a hole and it starts to rock. Now the sensible thing to do is we don't want, you know, the ark of the covenant, this, 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 awesome thing of God to fall and hit the ground. So he reaches up and he grabs hold of it and it kills him on the spot. Can you imagine the shock of the people? He reaches up and he's dead. I mean, that'd be pretty shocking. And it just seems like it's almost unfair. It seems like it just, why would God do that? Is he a loving God? Is he a hateful God? What's the deal? But see, here's the problem with it. The ark of, of God, the ark of the covenant was never meant to be pulled on a cart. It was created with rings on the side to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. And it says here that even, it even says in the word that this was an irreverent act before God. It was an irreverent act. And so he comes in and we realize that what they were doing was trying to handle the presence of God, trying to treat God any way they wanted, trying to come to God their way. And God's like, no, you can't do that. You can't mishandle the presence of a holy God. You can't come to me any way you want. I set the terms. You don't. It's on his terms, not ours. And I want to tell you, his terms are Jesus Christ. He set the terms to come through the blood of Jesus. And we can't come any other way. And we ought to have so much reverence and so much thanks and so much awe and so much, oh my gosh, about us when it comes to Jesus because of what he did for us that we 
we should have no problem with that. But they just said, hey, it's just the presence of God. Let's just put him on a cart. Let's just, boy, just drag him along. Come on, God. You know? And they're just doing it their own way. And God's like, no, I hate to do this. He was a I mean, but that's what happened. And so then I want you to think about the difference in two people. And so then David's like, well, that ain't going to my house. It ain't going to my house. And so he goes and he takes it to Obed-Edom's house. How'd you like to have been Obed-Edom? I mean, he's in there and he's, I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. I know you're the king, but you'll just, you know, just go ahead and kill me because I'm not, no, I'm not. That thing just killed a man. But they bring it to Obed-Edom's house. Don't you know that whatever room they put that thing in, that, that when they walked by it, I mean, they, there was some reverence going on in that house. There was some respect for the presence of God. They didn't just walk up and slap him on the back and be like, what's up, homie? There, there was reverence for God. I mean, they just saw it. It, it just blew a man up. And yet here he is. And, 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 but you know what's cool about what the word of God says? It says that everything in Obed-Edom's house, everything he had, everything that was there was blessed. And I believe you see two different attitudes towards God. You see one man who's just like, let's just pull him on a cart. Let's say, you know, let me help God out. And you see another man who was in such awe and reverence of God. God had his proper place in his life and he was blessed. I think so many of us are walking around miserable and disappointed because we just haven't even put God in the right place in our life. He's just another thing, another option, another choice. For many of us, the Bible is just a book of story. I mean, we even call it, when we teach kids, what do we tell them? All right, we're going to read the Bible story now. And so it becomes a storybook. It's not something that's real, but I'm telling you that this is a big problem in our churches today and in the culture we live in today is God does not have his proper place with us. And so David realizes this, and this is one, this is an even crazier story, but, but David realizes that Obed-Edom's house is being blessed and he's like, okay, maybe I should bring it on up to Jerusalem. And so he goes down and he gets the Ark of the Covenant. And you know what's funny about it though? If you read on down right there in verse 13, it says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, that thing wasn't on a cart again. They learned. We don't come to God any way we want to. We don't put him on our terms. We come to God the way he wants me to. There is a, he is God who is to be revered. He is God who we stand in awe of. He is an amazing, awesome God that we come to the way he wants us to. So they're carrying it on their shoulders. Well, then they're coming up to Jerusalem, and David is just jacked up, man. He is so excited about God. He's just worshiping. worshiping. So he just starts shedding clothes. And it says that he actually danced naked. He actually danced naked. Now think about this. If you're at a Georgia Southern football game and some guy just shucks his clothes and starts dancing naked, that's not really worship. We don't think of that. We think that's just creepy. That's just weird. That's just like, I hope the police get here soon. But here David is, he's over there just as naked, naked. They got on to me because I always say naked. So he was as, as naked, <laughs> naked, 
as he could be. And he's dancing before the Lord. And I want to tell you, I believe this teaches us something about the fear of the Lord. I think it teaches us something about reverence before God. Because listen, there are people who go to church every Sunday and they wear the nicest thing they have. And I get that because they want to give the best they have to God. This is my best suit. This is my best thing. I'm wearing this to church. And I understand that they want to give their best to God. But do you know what? Their hearts are irreverent for a lot of them. Their hearts are irreverent. And there's no reverence for the Lord. You can look like whatever you want to, but if your heart is not reverent before God, you're irreverent. If your heart does not put God in the place he needs to be put, then you're irreverent. You're not, there's no fear of the Lord. He is not right in your life. But then in our church, you know, summertime, you got people coming in with cut off shorts, flip flops, t-shirts. And here's the thing. What's the condition of their heart? Is their heart any different? Does it really matter if you've got on a suit or, or shorts and flip-flops if, if your heart's not right? No. If your heart's not right, none of the other matters anyway. Doesn't matter what you look like. And, and this is proof of that because here David is dancing absolutely naked before God. But see, David's heart was clothed with humility. David's heart was clothed with awe at God, at who God is, at what God's done, at at all the things that God has, has accomplished in this earth and through man. And so I believe David had it right. I'm not saying we're going to come in here and dance. We'll call the police on you. But what I'm saying is David had it right because his heart was clothed with humility. He had it right. He understood that. He was, he was in awe of God. God had just given him a great victory. How many victories has God given you in your life? Even those of you who don't serve God, there are things that God's brought you through that you should have never made it through. And you need to recognize that and put God in his proper place. We all need to do this. We all need to realize this. See, the fear of the Lord was when Moses was standing there and God said, Moses, this is holy ground. And Moses took off his sandals. The fear of the Lord was when Mary is there and, and, and the angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. And she said, be unto, do it unto me. How, whatever you got to do, God, do it. And you realize she was going to be a pregnant teenager who, without a husband who by the law of the Jews should have been stoned to death, should have been killed. And she said, just whatever, God. You're, you're in the right place in my Do whatever you need to do through me. I'll do it. There's so many instances of that. There was a leprous man who ran and bowed at the feet of Jesus because he knew that if Jesus Christ does not touch my life, I'm never going to make it. Hadn't been touched in years. And he comes and bows at the feet of God and says, if you don't touch me, I'm going to die. I'll never see my family again. I'll never get to hold my wife again. I'll never get to hold my children again if Jesus, you don't do something because you're my only hope. That's the fear of the Lord. It's recognizing who God is, what he's done, and, and all the incredible um, just attributes that make him up. I want to just maybe five more minutes, and then we're going to go. But back to Ephesians 5.15. See, I believe that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. It, it is understanding who God is. It's not living in terror of God. It's living in awe and reverence of who God is. It's understanding his position in, in our lives. It's realizing that he is God and we're not, that he's the captain and we're not. But Ephesians 5.15 says something. I think, I think that this is the key to growing in wisdom. 
Paul said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He said, making the most of every opportunity. There are other translations that say, redeem the time. It says, make the most of redeeming the time. Basically, it's saying, you need to be living wise. You need to be living for God every day of your life. You, it doesn't need to be something that you just do on Sunday. You need to be doing it every day, every minute, every second of your life. Don't waste a second of, of, of the time that God's given you to live for him. There's no, there's no time off. Live for God every day. This is the wise choice to make. This is how you continually grow in wisdom, is to continually seek God daily, by minute by minute, second by second. You're seeking the Lord. Now, I was thinking about this. This is really awesome to me. I, well, I believe this. I believe that in our lives, that one of the greatest enemy of wise choices is boredom. Did you say that? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm feeling it now. But, <laughs> but would you not agree that sometimes when we get bored, we just make some stupid choices, don't we? We just do some stupid stuff. And I was thinking about this. I came across this the other day. And these statistics, this, this uh, information was just amazing to me. Um, I found out this, and I didn't know that. I mean, I knew we were, like, moving quick, but I didn't know this. Do you know the earth is spinning at over 1,000 miles per hour right now? It goes 25,000 miles in 24 hours. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. It's just turning. You know, the, the world is moving. And see, it's at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun right now. That is 67,000 miles. And we're spinning 1,000 miles. This is the greatest roller coaster that's ever been invented. I'm telling you. And we still pay like $200 to go to Disney. And it, it, it's absolutely amazing to me that God has done all of this. I mean, he's sitting there. We're rotating, turning, spinning, moving. It, it's so big around the sun. Our, our orbit is so big that it takes us 365 days to make a complete loop. That's how big God is. That's how much potential is in God. And we get bored. We get bored. We're bored because we don't know how big God is. We don't know the capabilities that God has. And when we get bored, we start trying to do things that, to, to fill up our time. We start making stupid choices. We, we don't make wise decisions. We do stupid things. And I'm telling you, I'm just going to be very frank with you today. If your life is boring, then you're not living for God. If your life is boring, then you're not living for God. Because a life lived with Jesus as the king is adventurous. You don't ever know what God might bring your way. You don't know what God might have you step up and do that day. But God calls us to this life of adventure, to doing these different things. And, and, and you know, when boredom sets in, all kinds of stuff starts happening. You get bored in your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, so you have to go a little further to try to spice it up. That's boredom. Or a husband and wife, they get bored with each other, so they start looking different places. That's boredom. Or the husband's at work and he starts flirting with the, the secretary because he's just bored at home. Or you spend so much time at work because home life's boring and you just kind of, uh, if I can stay a little bit longer. See, we get bored, we start doing stupid things. And God's calling us to make wise choices. And I believe if we will live every day for God, we will see that a life lived for Jesus Christ, a life lived for God, is anything but boring. God will have you do some stuff. Your heart will be beating 900 miles an hour. I promise it, it, it's better than an amusement park. 
your heart will be beating out of your chest going, I don't want to say that to them, God. I don't want to, do I really have to tell them about you? Come on, God. You know? I mean, God, God wants us to do these things. He wants us to be a part, to be an active part of his kingdom and his life. God's called the church to manifest the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Think about this. God has called us. It says in, in um, Ephesians, it says that God's chose us. He, he has, has selected the church, the body of Christ, you and I, to demonstrate his manifold wisdom to the world and to all the evil powers that exist. And he says, that's my wisdom in Jesus Christ, is you and me. See, I'd have had a better plan. I'm just like, God, come on, you can do something. You can come up with a better. But he's looking to us to show his wisdom to the world. See, to most people in our culture today, Jesus is foolish. Jesus is foolishness. But for those who come to know him, he is the wisdom of God. And when we begin to live for him every day, he will begin to impart that wisdom into us. When we set him over the throne of our life and we live for him, and, and when he's in the right position in our life, he begin to impart things to us as we're in his word and we're praying and we're fellowshipping together. We're in a small group and we're, we're iron sharpening iron and, and we're beginning to have uh, the word of God poured into us. We grow. But see, God can't just be another option. God can't be another option. He's got to be, he's got to be the first choice. He can't get what's left over. He's got to get our best. Amen?